The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. On this episode, we speak with Andrew Parks of Urbane and Gallant. We are sitting on an outdoor patio of a nice little coffee shop in LA, so you will hear some of the background noise of the other guests and a few fire sirens going by during our interview. I was introduced to Andrew through my friend Cecily Jackson Zapata, who helped me with our interview. I hope you enjoy his self-admitted boyish charm and grand plans to restore the honor of men. We are so excited to feature you on LA version of the Bonfires of Social Enterprise podcast. My name is Cecily Jackson Zapata and we're here with Rami Gingras. Andrew Urbane and Gallant are our first for-profit social enterprise that we're featuring on the podcast in LA. And I know that you are a benefit corporation and that you are a certified B Corp Mm -hmm. as well. Congratulations to get your B Corp certification. And um, we've been so thrilled to do work with you at Sustainable Law Group. I would love to hear from you about your inspiration for Urbane and Gallant and how you got started. I'll first start kind of with a personal journey. Um, I think when I entered USC, University of Southern California as a freshman, um, asked big questions like, uh, what do I want to do with my life? And then on top of that, you know, what does it mean to be a man? Um, I think coming from the small public high school in Orange County and come to a big university that had so many different people there, it just kind of the competitiveness in me was like, okay, so how can I you know, try to get the top or whatever? But I wanted to ask that question because I wanted to go about that, like, I guess, pursuing success or whatever it is, to do it in the right way, in a way that will not only grow me, but also bless and help other people in the process. And so I, I got really into that, just what does it mean to be a man? And so as I pursued that and kind of talked to older people, I'm all about gaining wisdom from older people who are ahead of me and what they can teach me. Kind of boiled down to one real simple idea of responsibility. Um, just a man who understands masculinity is a man who takes responsibility. And so that really stuck with me. And so I was like, okay, for the next three, four years, I was just thinking about, okay, pondering what that really meant and how I could live that out. Um, so if you're going to pause there, then, as you can tell, I kind of am interested in, you know, hey, how can I be the best man that I can be? I got interested in suits. So I got interested in menswear and kind of when I was um, interning at Merrill Lynch as a junior and I was not liking at all kind of just the lifestyle and I was like, I don't know if this is me. Um, I just said, well, well, what should I do with the rest of my life? And that's when I uh, was like, well, if I could have a huge closet full of suits, I could wear a different suit each day, that would be my dream. That would be awesome. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I should start a suit company. Just something boyish, something very kind of just kind of lame, but, you know, it, it, it gave me that first step towards the startup life because you know the first step is always the most difficult and something you know whatever you need to, to take that first step I say you know let that be um, but that's when I kind of learned hey, USC has a great entrepreneurship program like hey there might be a crazy journey for me there so why not I guess that's why I'm here and so I joined and then that's when kind of the concept I began thinking okay so I'm passionate about you know masculinity passionate about suits and the one last kind of aspect I'll talk about is, okay, how do I put the two together? There's got to be a way I can use it to help people. And at the time, at least in the entrepreneurship school, there wasn't too much talk about social enterprise. It was a lot more, hey, 
find a need in the marketplace, build a product, and then as long as the cash is coming in, you're good. You know, my professors didn't really help me too much because they're less about, you know, making an impact in that kind of language and more about, you know, hey, you can make money, keep going, you know? And not really thinking about the little, you know, intentionality behind your brand or what you want to accomplish. But the cool thing is uh, they brought in a lot of guest speakers at school. I remember uh, Brent Freeman, who started Roost.com, um, came in and spoke. I don't know, he, they were part of the B Corp movement before I think they sold to another company. Uh, and I just remember him, young guy coming in, sharing. He was like, hey, I just wanted to help people. And I started this business. And he brought another friend that was simple, you know, selling T-shirts and giving a T-shirt to a kid in the inner city, you know. It's a very simple model, but I was just like, okay. I gotta talk to these guys, you know, like they, they're doing something that is in the realm of what I wanna do. And that's when I learned about social enterprise. That's when I learned about kind of the B Corp movement in Los Angeles and I was like, this is awesome. You know, I, I'm gonna do this. The third aspect now is, okay, why human trafficking? And that comes from just my brother. He, he was in law school at the time in New York City and he was doing some research on human trafficking and then he sent a link to a uh, article and it, it, it just, talked about a woman from South Korea that was trafficked um, into the United States and um, she was trafficked to San Francisco and then did some time here in Los Angeles in Koreatown. And that's when that issue just really blew up. At least it caught my attention um, because before that human trafficking was just, it's over there, you know, it's Southeast Asia or it's overseas. And I never really put a, a fellow Korean face to it. And um, once I realized, oh my goodness, it's happening even to my own community here, I gotta start looking into this. And that's when I you know, started researching and trying to talk to uh, nonprofits. Um, everything all clicked together when I learned that human trafficking is a, uh, it's a business and what fuels this business and industry is um, the demand, right? I mean, as we're all here building businesses, so it's like, hey, if there's a demand, someone will supply it. And when I realized that the heart of the problem here was men, right? Men who thought it was okay. Men who, was, who were willing to feed money into this business engine, it's gonna keep going. You know, and there was some discussion amongst some nonprofits where you know, it's like, oh, we can keep uh, working on the supply side. You know, I hate to use that term, but you know, right. it just helps to communicate to use the supply side. And you know, we could keep rescuing and sheltering and um, doing rehabilitation efforts, but for as long as the demand's still there, we'll still have this problem. And so that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I think I have an opportunity to do something and to fill that void, to fill that area of need by building a menswear company that's gonna help inspire men to live authentically masculine lives and we're gonna give them the opportunity to take action through our clothing that helps combat human trafficking. So that's how Urban and Gallant as a concept was born. Um, so essentially it's a lifestyle menswear brand that's dedicated to inspire and um, help walk with men um, and show them what it looks like to, to be a man that's responsible. And what better way to shape it all together than through fashion. So can you speak more specifically about your program and your social impact and yeah. how you work to combat human trafficking? As I talk with nonprofits, I realized that not only, okay, demand side was part of the problem, but they were also dealing with a re-trafficking problem. That some nonprofits were experiencing the fact that they would rescue, they would work with local authorities and, and do raids and, and bring women, children, boys, men out of slavery, and then they'll want to go back. 
right? Because would, we would think, oh, you're safe now. Like, why would you ever want to go back? But the reality is that, especially the women, they're like, I feel more empowered in the red light district than sitting here twiddling my thumbs and hoping to receive something. And so they just, they bounce and they go, hey, see ya, I still gotta, still gotta send money back to my family. And so there's a lot of pressure that isn't being addressed. And I'm, when I found out about Agape International Missions, that what they were doing in Cambodia, and the fact that they're um, employing their survivors, um, and after helping them get to a place where they're finally able to kind of move forward, they employ them. And hey, well, We'll help you out and you feel empowered and you get an education on top of it. And that's when I was like, oh my goodness, we could partner up and let's have some of our pocket squares you know, be produced from them and help them, serve them. And, and then we're able to leverage the operations of the business just by operating it, we're passing impact down. And that's what I like because you know, businesses, I know you've got a finance background, so and it's important for businesses to not just have cash flowing out, you know, just immediately because, you know, you need that to help grow and scale the business. But if you can create a model where just by operating it, you're passing impact down, then it's like, that's a win-win. You know, that's like, that's awesome, right? And so you, all you need to do is you're free to just operate and think about, okay, how do I build a brand? How do I build exposure? And hey, let's, let's get people excited about this. And as a result, as the business scales, the impact automatically scales as well. And that's what I like to do. Um, However, the, the challenge for the suits is a little bit uh, more difficult because it's a more complex garment. Um, so that's one thing I'm, I'm taking a step at a, one step at a time. Um, ideally, it seems like there aren't you know infrastructures in place to you know help employ survivors through you know maybe our suits. Um, but I'm keeping an eye out, and as we grow, that's something I'll be working on. Uh, okay, how can we add more sustainability through our suit product line? And the goal is to keep doing that breach garment product line that we roll out. I'm really struck by your calling out of this demand piece of the human trafficking and approaching it from a business because you're right it is a business and it's not just the demand as you said by the purchasers of that human trafficking product but it's also the demand put on the survivor that just came out to send money as you yeah. just said and yeah. I found it over all the years that human beings really do, for the most part, really want to make a difference and be productive. Yeah. Yeah. And most of these victims, especially if they were trafficked early on, yeah. I've actually heard employers say, well, they don't have a resume. I'm like, well, they were trafficked when they yeah. were 10. Right. They're coming out at 25. Somebody's got to help yeah. build them yeah. a resume. They yeah. need a job so they don't cycle back in. I love that approach that you've taken. It's a bit, you, you have business written all over you. I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and it helps when you, so if anyone's interested in doing a social enterprise, I mean, I always like to encourage people to just start by talking to the people on the front lines. You know, the, at the end of the day, I like to say, just as there's a, uh, a supply chain, I like to say there's an impact value chain where you've got you know, the front line, which I would like to equate it to maybe the raw materials of a typical uh, supply chain. And we need to have each organization at each step do their part, but we also need to collaborate. And so it's important for people that want to do social, you know, build a social enterprise to kind of figure out, okay, where are they in the impact chain? And then to make sure they do that well. And then we're seeing actual movement and change. Right. How many products are you developing? How much are you selling? Where, where are you going yeah. next? So we are actually still very early. Um, as one thing I took away from school was, hey, test. You know, keep testing and um, see how the market responds, but also test so you can learn 
about yourself and your business and the identity of your business. So um, the Pocket Squares was really an easy test, test mark for us to, to get our name out there um, and just see how people respond and if, if, our, if we're actually communicating correctly what we intend. Um, so that was a great exercise for us. Uh, uh, the suit in any developed country uh, or Western country is it's a suit, symbol of masculinity, and so let's start there. You know, a lot of a lot of companies today are pitching and selling suits as, hey, look like a man, and you get you get this, you get all that. You know, they like to say, hey, get women, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, that is just that is not that's not deep enough. That doesn't get to it doesn't help anybody. You know, and so why not? almost rebrand the suit. Superficial almost, It's right? superficial, yeah. And so let's get to the heart of, of human beings and what we want, what how we feel fulfilled, and um, even empowering men to do, as you said, you know, we want to help people. A lot of companies um, right now are talking to men, um, assuming that, you know, we're interested in only three things, uh, beer, sex, and sports. And if you just keep talking to men like that, how are we going to end up behaving? Just yeah. like that. So let's let's take it up a notch and speak to men in a way that will inspire them and tell them, hey, like you're more. You don't know what else you can accomplish. So let us help you. Let us show you, um, and and hopefully inspire men to go. Okay, so there, there's a, I, I'm capable of more, you know. And then see what men create out of that, right? So that's what I want to do. You know, it reminds me of a great um, male friend of mine said, you know, he said he was talking about being a man in terms of uh, being a good husband, a good father. And he said, well, he said, I grew up with the role models of Homer Simpson, these goofy guys out there. And he said, they're not the the definition that my grandfather told me about being masculine. And he was talking about this similar thing that somebody's going to have to be a hero and start redefining what it really means. Yeah. How are you finding um, other men are responding to this conversation? Are you noticing differences, by the way, too, as you answer that, based on an age group or a culture? Mm-hmm. How are you finding this? I would think this would resonate with them. Yeah, um, well, I'm definitely going to find out after this podcast, right? Um, <laughs> but it's been a kind of a small outreach so far, but with the little amount of men I've just been able to share this with, it, it definitely resonates. And I think, at least with people my age, um, you know, in their early 20s, up to 30s, or sometimes in, um, in college, like they, this is something that they want, I think. I think this is some, something that they've been craving. Um, I, I've read through a few of the Art of Manliness blogs, and I remember one article being very interesting, talking about different archetypes of men throughout the generations, or something like that. It was kind of complex. It was very... Um, in depth, but it seems like each generation has a certain kind of male identity, I think. And I think for what it said about the millennials is that we kind of want to go back to, I guess, grandfa- our grandfathers, you know, the, the men that came out of World War II and, and kind of really built this nation back up. Um, and I think we're hungry for that. And um, so the response has been, I mean, I haven't had anyone push back and say like, look, this is terrible, you know? Uh, they're just like, oh, at worst, it's just, this is new. This is interesting. Like, I've never been told this. Or this is a very different perspective that, wow, tell me more, you know? And so I'm excited to continue that conversation, actually, as we build the business and meet more men. And and obviously, I, I want to hear all their questions, you know, because that way, let's just dialogue and, and, and keep building each other up. How did you come up with this name, Irving Gallant? Yes, yes. So I might be geeking out on business, but... 
Uh, I truly believe that a corporation is an entity and it's a, an actual person. So I really wanted this company to uh, embody uh, what we want to be ourselves as men, but also to inspire other men to become. And so I, I wanted to choose words for the name of this company that will perfectly capture uh, the man that we're talking about. And Gallant was the best word that I had come up with. It's a rather old word, uh, not too, it's not used too frequently these days, um, but I loved it because of its three definitions. The first being a gallant man is a man that fights for others. He's a man that's courageous, he's a warrior, um, but the most important thing here is that he's not using it selfishly um, in a way that you know, is tough and you know, a bully, but uh, a man that's investing his strengths to, to serve other people. And that is definitely the heart of what we want men to be um, and to aspire towards, because we don't hear that enough. Um, and then, what I really liked is a gallant man is a man who respects women. And I think that's something I want to really be very intentional about letting men and helping them understand, um, because we just have a bad habit of not doing that. And it's not just you know us now, I mean, throughout all of history, I think that's one of the biggest areas of improvement for men. But I, I do want to really focus in on that too, because the way we live our lives, it affects not only other men, but it affects women, so our wives, our mothers, sisters, and eventually our daughters, you know, if, if we have them. Uh, when I stumbled upon Urbane, it was just a perfect combination, um, because Urbane means someone who is cultured, someone who is, you know, well aware of what's going around the world, and, and they care. Right, because that's the most important thing. Because if, if we don't know what's going on and we don't care, then we can't have change and we won't have that internal drive to do something. And ur being urbane is it captures that, but it also comes from the French word urban, which to me is so important. Because if I could kind of backtrack a little bit, the thing that I find so powerful about business is that we as businesses can influence culture. That is the one of the I think the single most powerful thing about businesses, and what influences culture the most in a nation, it's the cities. And so we want to reach the urban men. You know, we want to reach them because they're the ones that probably have access to to change things. Whether they're in government, whether they're in other businesses leading them, or um, in nonprofits, and they're they're based in cities, and we can start a movement starting in cities, and then. With all the media and entertainment that's in Los Angeles or New York or any of the other major cities, now we can project that message out across the entire nation, and now we're influencing culture. And so that to me was huge, that this, we're, we're targeting urban, people in the city, um, and then lastly, urban also means a man that enjoys fashion. So, perfect combination. Wow, I had no idea there was that much Cecily under the cover here on that name. <laughs> that's really exciting. <laughs> This is a really fascinating way to approach a business, any business, let alone a social enterprise. And I know of numerous men who have been looking for this exactly this type of company. So okay. I, awesome. I'm very excited about your business. So I know that you're in the startup phase now. Yes. So how can people find your products and how can they find out more about Urbane and Gallant? Right now we have a website up that sells our pocket squares. So you can go to Urbane with an, so Urban with an E, um, Gallant with two L's, uh, dot com and you can purchase our pocket squares right now. Um, they're all available. Um, fortunately, right now we can only ship in the United States, but there are a lot of people that want it overseas. I'll figure out a way uh, to get it to you guys. Um, but that, that's the first start. We don't have any physical retail locations. It's just starting online first, 
but I do have desires and aspirations to be physically present because building a business, it's so important to have people-to-people -people contact. Thanks to Andrew and Cecily for the great time with Urbane and Gallant. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or via bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com so you don't miss our next story with Cecily Jackson Zapata from Los Angeles. And of course, we hope you'll enjoy the rest of our archives featuring fascinating social mission and impact businesses. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress. Copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC.